For the last few weeks, um, we've been talking about the Christmas story and looking like taking a glimpse into the Christmas story, different people, characters, things that were going on. And uh, in the process of looking at what was going on in the Christmas story, seeing that the result of those things that God was doing is that we ought to have a thankful heart. Like that knowing what God went through to bring about the birth of Jesus can only do one thing. And that's developing us a thankful heart. Because God went through a lot. He went through so much from, from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve all the way through the prophets, all the way to the birth of Jesus, and even beyond. God was doing so many little things to bring it about. It's, it's a miracle story, the birth of Christ. And we, we looked a little bit at Mary and her proclamation of His glory that when, you know, Mary went to see Elizabeth and, and, and John the Baptist inside of Elizabeth, you know, did the little uh, leapfrog thing inside of her and kicked and jumped. And, and, and Elizabeth knew that Mary was blessed and that she was, she was carrying in her womb the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And Mary just like sang out this, this glory to God praise. And then we traveled with Joseph and Mary as they traveled to Bethlehem and all the things that God did. The very fact that Herod, King Herod, who was an evil king, uh, and uh, there was a census that was taken in his kingdom. And that this, this census brought them to Bethlehem. They would not have gone to Bethlehem. They would not have been where they needed to be for the birth, right? The prophets, thousands of years earlier, said that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. And so there's a census declared, and they go to Bethlehem, and that's where Jesus is born, right where God wanted him to be born. And uh, how amazing just that little detail was. And then we hung out with the shepherds, all those shepherds, you know, those stinky guys up you know, in the field watching their sheep at night playing all kinds of shepherd games, you know, all kinds of weird things, probably Pictionary stuff. They're watching the sheep. Sheep are all sleeping, neat and tight. And then all of a sudden, boom, all these angels, this heavenly host, and they're like, what is this? What is going on? And they're listening to this angel, and they go to the stable, and they find the baby just as the angels told them. That little part of the whole story is just miraculous all in itself. And when they leave, they leave full of praise and full of joy, and they go and they tell everybody. Just an incredible part of the story. And last week, we talked about just appreciating this baby, just the baby himself, not, not so much all that was going on in the, in the presence and to bring the baby about, but the baby himself and who he is. And that King Herod... King Herod confirms that Jesus is the Messiah because his reaction to the Magi is just like he's ticked off, he's mad, he's disturbed. There's another king born in my kingdom, and that can't be. And so he has all those baby boys, two years young and younger, uh, killed. And that alone, as horrible as that is, is more confirmation that this evil king knew without a doubt that a Savior had been born. That's incredible stuff. And these magi that traveled a long time, not wise men, and not three of them. And they didn't go to the stable. I know I crushed everybody's hopes last week when I said all that. But um, 
these guys, you know, they see this star and they, they do all their homework and they come to worship this child. And all of these things, there's just so many things that God is doing, all these pieces that God is moving. And, and you can't help but look at that and just see the amazement and the power and like this orchestration of God bringing all these things together all for this one moment in time. Oh, that's just incredible. It's incredible to think about this. Well, today I want us to, to think about this. I want us to anticipate God doing a new thing. That's what this is about. It's New Year's and, and the last thought we're going to have on this uh, Christmas story and developing this thankful heart is that God is doing a new thing and we should be like full of thanks for that that he's doing a new thing and he wants to do a new thing in us. His coming, right, his coming is like rooted in the Old Testament. It came and it came to be just like God planned it to be. Hundreds of prophecies about Jesus, all of them fitting into four categories. One, his birth. Two, his ministry. Three, his death and resurrection. And four, the church. All the prophecies of the Old Testament pointing to the life of Jesus and all of them coming to pass in this one person, Jesus. The odds of that happening are, are astronomical. Nobody could ever come and even do ten of the things that the prophets spoke of, but Jesus came and did and fulfilled all of them, hundreds of them. That alone is an, is an amazing miracle of this whole story of Jesus. The birth is a big deal. You know, as, as, Adam, as Adam is to the creation story, Jesus is to God's rescue story for you and me. And that's really what the birth of Jesus is. It's a rescue mission that God comes to earth for you and for me. And you know, not a lot is written about the childhood of Jesus after his birth, right? We know the, the one story when he's 12 years old and he's in the temple, right? They all come to the temple for, for a feast and they leave the temple and they're headed home. And you know, I, you know, some of you got kids in here and it's like, you know, if your kid's missing for 30 seconds, you're like, okay, where's, where's, where's Louie? Where's Leo? You know, that's what we, you know, you're, you're like, where's Johnny? Right? Three days! Three days, they're traveling back home, and they're like, has anybody seen Jesus? You know, he's 12 years old. The kids are everywhere, right? They're with people, you know, hanging out, climbing trees, you know. And, and they're like, has anybody seen Jesus? No, we haven't seen Jesus. Well, when was the last time we saw him? Like, parents, you're like, you know, you know where your kid is, like, constant, right? You guys with kids? Like, three days later, they're like, you know, you would say, man, these guys aren't very good parents. Mary and Joseph. You know, Jesus is 12 years old and they've lost the Messiah. They're like, lost the Savior of the world. That was like their one job. Like, just raise this kid. Don't let him out of your sight. And he's like gone. And so, you know, they find him. Where is he? He's in the temple, right? Where he's supposed to be. And he's asking questions. And they're amazed at his insight. And so we don't, and that's it. The next time we see Jesus, it's, it's, he's going to start his ministry. 
But there's this one, there's this one section in, uh, it, it's like the, right at the, the end of the first week, after he's born, it's like the eighth day, and, and this, this is what I want to look at. There's these two people, you know, if I asked you to name people in the Christmas story, we'd all say like Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the Magi and the shepherds, but very few of us would say these two people that are a part of this story as it unfolds in this Christmas uh, event. So there's this eighth day, and if we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, so flip over to Luke chapter 2. There's this eighth day after Jesus is born. And just think about that for a minute, the eighth day. That'd be a good title for a book, right? The eighth day. Right, the eighth day. Let me, let me kind of just throw something out at you. I'm not being heretical or anything like that. But let me just suggest to you, like, the eighth day. Like in the creation story, uh, how many days are there in the creation story? Seven. Okay, so six of them God creates. On the seventh day, what's he do? He rests. And, and so we might say that God created rest. God didn't need rest, but he creates rest for us on the seventh day. And he, a lot about the rest, right? This, this rest that all points to the Sabbath rest. But the, the idea of rest for our bodies, rest for the land, rest for all kinds of things, but rest is created. Let me suggest to you that there is an eighth day, right? An eighth day. Because here's what happens. We're going to find out what happens on the eighth day here today. You remember the shepherds come at the time of his birth. You remember that the, the Magi uh, come within two years, but right after the birth and the shepherds is the eighth day. About a week after the birth, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple. All right? And that's what we're going to look at. So we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day. Here you go. On the eighth day. It's on the screen for you if you want. When it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. There you go. So, number one, baby Jesus is presented to God to do a new thing. This baby in our history is humongous in, in what God was doing up to that moment and what God was going to do after that moment. This presenting, this presenting of baby Jesus is like the present of all presents. Jesus, baby Jesus, right? And so it's required in the law. He's to be circumcised, and he is. And that's the covenant that God made with who? Abraham, right? So God made the covenant with Abraham. And so Jesus now comes to the temple just as the Old Testament or the Mosaic law said, and he is circumcised. Jesus represents the concluding of that covenant, the old covenant, and the beginning of a new covenant. He truly is the beginning of a new thing. Do you remember at the Last Supper, Bruce uh, read this, or part of this, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, a new covenant I give you in my blood. Right? That's what he said. Which is poured out for you. So this baby, this baby is the beginning of a very special and a very fresh work of God for all of mankind. 
That wasn't so in the Old Testament. God had his chosen people. It was Israel. And even though he made provisions for the Gentiles around them, it was mainly the focus was the Jews, the Jewish people, the Gentiles. This baby was going to be the beginning of a whole new work, of a whole new covenant. And so in this presentation to, uh, at the temple, he is officially named. They give him the name Jesus, which means Emmanuel, which means God with us. Up until now, God has not come to dwell with us. He has come to move in us. He has sent his spirit on his prophets to move in them, and he works among his people. But this is the first time through this child that God is coming to dwell, to live with us. That is a new work. And if God has come to earth to dwell with us, then he has a powerful and mighty work to do. Amen to that? Would you agree? You agree. So then there's this purification rites that happens, this ceremonial uh, uh, purification that they bring him to the temple on that eighth day for, and that has a lot to do with several things. First of all, there was ceremonial uh, purification. If somebody came in contact with a dead body, they had to be purified by the priest. If somebody was like around disease or they had disease and now they're cured, they had to go through these purification rites. If they... um, uh, if they, there was one other thing, but then there was also if, if this was a child, a newborn child, you had, they had to take them through this purification rites that, that the priest would do, and it was the fulfilling of the Mosaic law that was, that was about sin in the world and the need for sin, even in this new, newborn child, to be purified because the child has now arrived into a world full of sin. And there's a need for this child to be purified. And so Jesus comes, they bring him, and he is is purified. He goes through this rite. And this presentation is special, and it's unique, and it's baby Jesus, the Savior of the world, and it's one time for all of mankind. It's the closing of the old, and it's the beginning of a new work of God. And so Jesus is brought to the temple by his parents, just like, in a sense, these parents just brought their kids up here and we just presented them to God. And that's what the law required. And so Jesus is the end of it, puts an end to it, puts a bookmark in it. Verses 25, let's read on. Verse 25, it says this, Now there, were, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He's a righteous man and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's the consolation of Israel? The consolation of Israel is amazing. Because what it is, is it's the fulfillment of all the hopes and the dreams of the Jews. The consolation of Israel is is like the promised Messiah finally arriving. Consolation means to console. Comfort. So the consolation of Israel that they're waiting for, that Simeon is at the temple waiting for all of his life, is that the final comfort of God would arrive on the eighth day. They bring Jesus to the temple. This is incredible. It's insane. I mean, all that God is working and moving in these people is just incredible. And this guy, this one guy, Simeon, right? He's here. Simeon is a devout man of faith, right? He's righteous. The Holy Spirit is on him. See what it says there? 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. How cool is like that? Like this one guy, like God tells him somehow in a dream or a vision or an angel says to him, you are not going to taste death until you see the promised Messiah, the one that has been promised since all of the Old Testament. You're not going to die. Could you imagine if God appeared to you and said, you are not going to leave this earth until you see the second coming of Christ? How cool would that be? That's exactly what was going on. God had told Simeon that you will not die until you see the Messiah on this planet. And and that's what's going on here. That's what happens. And so he sees God. He said he would not die before he had seen the, the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit in verse 27, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Wow, that's, that's incredible. He's like going, it's happened just like you said. Take me home. Like, check me out of here. I'm ready to go. This is like cool. It's awesome. I'm ready. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This is incredible. Verse 31, the child's father and the mother, they marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. Wow. This guy, Simeon, is just like this... It's like he just comes onto the scene and he's gone almost instantly. Like he's only here for just a very short time in the whole story. But his role and his part in all of what God was doing is humongous. It's huge. It's huge. He's a righteous guy. He's got the Holy Spirit on him. And he, like he as a person, as a human being, is poised and ready for whatever God might want to do. That's, that's how we should live, right? That's exactly how we should be living our lives. Every minute, like, like anyone in these stories, that's a part of this whole thing in God's plan. We're always like poised and ready for whatever God might want to do. They were never like over there on the bench, sitting down, doing nothing. They were never like over there in the corner, twiddling their thumbs. They were never like in somewhere doing something where they shouldn't have been doing, where they would have missed what God wanted to do. This guy, he's waiting. He knows it's going to happen, and he's just waiting for the moment. Verse 29, look what happens. God fulfills his promise of the Messiah, the promise of his coming, and the promise of his future like impact. And look at these three words that, that Simeon says here that is going to impact the world in the future, like this new work of God. Okay, there are three words. Salvation, he says. Salvation of all mankind. Like the final salvation, not just the healing of your body, not just Jesus doing a miracle, but the, the healing of your soul. Like your spirit and your soul deep within, healed and one with God. Like, like that had not happened yet. 
This baby, this eighth day, this guy in the temple with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and he reveals to the world, to all of us today, that this baby is the promise of God's new work in the future of this child and salvation to all men. You know, a lot of times I think we, we, miss, we miss what God is doing so deep in our hearts because of all the stuff that's on the outside. Like all the things that are going on in our lives and, and we let the world and we let stuff and we let our thoughts and we let our careers and our jobs, we let all those things get so big that what God is truly doing in our spirit and in our soul, deep within us, we miss it. It's all just, it's just like cluttered out or crushed down. And the truth, the truth is that Jesus came to bring salvation and wholeness and healing to your soul, to your heart, forgiveness and grace. You know, if we really just like cut away all the stuff and just really just accepted that, like just receive that, just receive what God wants to do in you, you don't have to feel a thing. It's not like you're going to get tingles. and You don't have to feel a thing. It's just the knowledge of the truth of what God is doing deep within you, like, like that rock and that, that flower coming up out of it, out of this boulder rock that should not happen. That's exactly what God is wanting to do in us. It's like bring something amazing and beautiful out of our cold hearts. If we'll just listen, if we'll just receive it, and we'll just live in the truth. Just live in the truth. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to feel it. You know it. Because he said it. And that's good enough, right? That's it. He's God. And if he said he was coming to bring salvation, he will. And he is. That's so cool. And then he said, light of revelation to the Gentiles. This is cool, too, because like, like this baby that has come on this, and he's at the temple on this eighth day, is like he's also light for those guys, the Gentiles, who have been in the dark all this time. Right? They've been wandering around in the dark. They've been lost. They've been not the children of God. They are not part of Israel. They have stampled on Stamped on, yeah, that's right. Stamped on Israel, and they have been stamped by Israel, and God has worked among them for years and years and years, and they're the Gentiles, and they're on the outside looking in, and this baby, this fulfillment is now a light of revelation that's going to allow them in. That alone is huge, because that's us. That's us, you guys. We're the Gentiles. We were on the outside, and God has brought a light to our path that leads us to the Savior of the world. The shepherds, they came to the Savior of the world. And there he was. The Magi came to the Savior of the world. And God calls you and I and the Gentiles through this, through this light of the world. And glory to Israel because Israel is God's glory, right? They are his chosen people. And so what Simeon said is amazing. But Simeon is like, I waited like my whole life for this very moment. Like I waited my whole life for this moment. That, that's incredible. Could it be that your whole purpose for being on this planet could be for one moment? You're like, could it be that God created you for one moment that's going to happen at some time 
And, and he wants to use you in a very special way, just like he did Simeon right here and so many others. Like, like that, that should like change our whole like attitude, our whole demeanor of how we're living our lives and what we're looking forward to and who we're leaning on and, and, and what we're listening to and what we're following and that we're not cluttering our minds with anything else. Like it ought to urge us to like live our lives for every moment because it might be the moment. Like it could be your moment. The whole reason you're here. Right? I don't want to miss that. You know, you want to miss that? Like for the shepherds, the, for the shepherds, it was like this one night. Like, we don't know how many nights they've been out in the field. Dozens, hundreds maybe, years and years. And on this one night, they're in the right place and they're doing the right thing. And God says, now. And, and they're the ones he uses. And for the Magi, it's like this one star. This one star. They had followed probably other stars. They had their instruments. They had their books. They had their sorcery and their magic and all this stuff they had going on. And they, they seen all kinds of stuff up in the stars and in the universe and in the sky. But their whole life was for this one star. And they, they didn't even know it. They had no idea that they, what they were destined for. And for the innkeeper, like, like the innkeeper, his one line in all of life, his whole purpose was, I'm sorry, we're all out of rooms. You know, like that's his, that was his mission. That was his purpose. Like, does it matter what it is? No. no. It's like, use me however you need to, God. Like, right, if, if you need me to just, just do whatever, I'm, I'm ready. I'm like, I'm poised. I'm ready to do it. And like Mordecai said to Esther, who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a moment, a time as this. Like, this is your time, uh, Esther. This is your moment. Everything else just led up to this moment. Don't blow it. Could it be that our whole lives are just moving us to one moment in time where God's going to use you to just tip the scales just enough for something big to happen? I don't know about you. That just makes me want to be ready, right? For others, it might be a lifelong mission like the apostles or Mary and Joseph who had to raise baby Jesus or the prophets of old or Noah who, who, who it took them almost a year to build the ark. Though it's so true that this baby in the manger is precious, right? It's so true that this baby is wonderful and full of awe, but, but do we realize that this new work of God will be messy as well? Did you notice in these verses, if you look at these verses, go ahead and put those verses back up there, thank you. If you look at these verses right here, look what, look what he says about Jesus. Sides will be drawn. Choices will have to be made, right? Friendships will be broken. Families will be divided. All over Jesus all over who he is, all over what he came for. In Matthew 10, Jesus said it like this, I have come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. In Luke 12, he said, for from now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. The story of Jesus is wonderful and beautiful, but it's also messy and it is a division. With the good news, right, of this precious baby Jesus also comes bad news. Does. Like with that new car you got or that new house you bought, 
that new fine fresh smell also comes a payment book, right? Yeah, we hate that part. <laughs> With Jesus comes the dividing. With Jesus comes the separating, like a shepherd dividing the sheep from the wolves and a farmer the chaff from the wheat. With the coming of hope and salvation comes a decision that you will have to make. You will have to decide who you're going to follow, right? That's what we talked about in our teen class this morning. Our worldview. We're going to have to decide what, what we're going to build our life on. What will be the foundation that we're going to live the rest of our life on? And it will, it will impact everything you do from there. So we have to choose, right? We have to choose the treasures of this world or the world behind me and the cross before me. Right? We'll have to choose. Every day, every day, and we choose Jesus. That's what we choose. We must choose Jesus because Jesus came to, to cause ripples. Jesus came to be somewhat of a rebel. Jesus came, and it is now messy. It isn't all pretty and good. This child, look what he says in verse 34 of our passage. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Jesus is the stone that some people will be crushed by and stumble over, and he will also be the stone that some people will build their lives on but you will have to choose, right, what side you're going to be on. It also says in, the, in our verses, he will be a sign of, and, and that will be spoken against, right? Do you see that in the verses? Jesus, this precious little baby lying there in the manger, will be a sign that Simeon is now holding in the temple as they have brought him to present him to the Lord. He will be a sign that will be spoken against while some will fall and worship him and, and run off praising God. Others will yell, crucify him. He will divide. He will divide people, right? It also says in our verse there that he will reveal the hearts of many, right? Jesus, right? The word of God, penetrating soul and spirits, dividing even the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And he says he will cause, and this is very personal to Mary as, he, as Simeon looks at Mary and he says, and he will cause the piercing of Mary's soul. You know, extreme pain. We've, we've all experienced extreme pain, but can you imagine Mary at the beginning of this story of the birth of Jesus, understanding that God had chosen her to be the one to bear the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that extreme joy that she must have felt as she came to understand that, and then the, the extreme pain that she endured as she watched him be nailed to a cross. The piercing of Mary's soul. It's powerful. Matthew 25, Jesus teaches judgment and service, right? He says, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was in prison, right? I was a stranger, Remember that, his teaching about the difference between those who love him and those who don't, right? This, this do you love me? Do you, will you serve me? Will you obey me? Or are you just on the planet doing your own thing? 
There's this, this, this decision that will have to be made. This new thing that Simeon is revealing in Jesus is a sword. It's a sword, and it's going to cut. It's going to cut through those who love God from those who do not love God. Right? And it's all wrapped up in the Spirit of God and the Word of God and Jesus being the living Word that has come to provide a new thing, a new way, a new life, a new truth. And many people marveled at Jesus and said, what is this new thing he is doing? He is a new thing. And a new opportunity for all of us to be free from the one-way destruction of this planet. He is your only way out. He is our only option out. The world is headed to destruction and Jesus came to be the new way. Dividing the sheep from the goats, right? This baby, this eighth day, this new thing. And the last thing is this, verse 36, Anna. We can't leave Anna out of the story of what's going on around the birth of Jesus because all that God is doing just, just brings a sense of like thankfulness for all that he's done to bring it about for you and me. So verse 36 says, There was also a prophet named Anna, the daughter of Penuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. So there's Mary and Joseph and there's baby Jesus and there's Simeon. And now here comes Anna. She comes up to them at that very moment and she gave thanks to God. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So Anna speaks of a new thing. That's what happens. Anna speaks of this new thing. Who's Anna? She's a prophet of God. She's from the tribe of Asher. Asher, right? Run of the twelve. Tribes of Jacob, right? Twelve tribes of Israel. Everybody know the twelve tribes. Let me throw this up there for you. Okay. Slim J. Nazbegad. Write that down. And that's how you remember the twelve tribes of, of Jacob. Anybody do it? Twelve tribes? Can you get all twelve? No? All right, let's go. Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Manasseh. Judah. Nephtali, Asher, Asher, there's our Asher, Zebulun, Benjamin, Gad, Reuben, Ephraim, and Dan, the 12 tribes of Jacob, all tie into everything that God does from then on. And this woman, Anna, is a prophet. She's a prophet, y'all, did you hear that? Anna, female, is a prophet of God's. And she's in the temple. She is from the tribe of Asher, and she comes up to them, right? She's 84 years old. She's a widow. She's the daughter of Penuel. And she spends all of her time where? Like in the temple. She's always in the temple and she's praying and she's fasting day and night, it says, worshiping God. Like so for all of us in our older years. I'm not there yet. Okay. Not there yet. I'll be there one day, right? Linda, where's Linda? Linda always one reminding me I'm there. Huh? You're a senior. <laughs> I refuse. AARP. <laughs> but this is Anna. This is a great example of what, what we can do. We may not physically be able to do a whole lot, but we can do this. 
And if we're doing this, the church is going to thrive. The church is going to grow. God is going to have his way. And that's where Anna is. She's like constantly worshiping, fasting, and praying. And here's the cool thing. Her moment comes, 84 years old, and her moment comes in her old age. The opportunity arrives. And the coolest thing is this. She's so ready. She's like, she's prepared. She's obeying. She's faithful. And when God needs her, she's ready. If we don't learn anything, that's the best thing we can learn out of this thing. This is so big. Like in sports, we might call it like get in your athletic position, right? It, it, the police might say, like, assume the position. Anyone know what that is? <laughs> I don't. I can tell you that. And in a race, you might say, take your position, right? But Anna, she is in a ready position for God. She is living her life in a like a God-ready position all the time. She's not going to be caught not paying attention to what God might be doing. That's a great way to live, right? That's how we ought to live. This new thing that she speaks of then is redemption. She says, redemption has come. God has sent his redeeming son to us. This baby, this baby eight days old that is in the arms of Simeon and Mary and Joseph are staring at him like, what is going on? And all these events have happened that have brought Jesus here. This baby was born to die. That's intense. That's insane. But he was. That's it. He is our redemption. That's what it means. He will pay the penalty for our sin. His blood will be shed for you and me. We, like sheep, have gone astray. And the perfect one has come. And he will one day lay down his life after this eighth day. He will lay down his life on a wooden cross for you. Your sins nailed to him. In fact, the scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin. He became our sin. Right? And, and, and Anna is saying, it's here. He's here. Redemption is here. And he will take our sin in his body and he will nail it to the cross. And God has sent his son Jesus. And we have hope of being redeemed back to God, and Anna speaks of this new thing. Anna does. So on the eighth day, eighth day, six days of creating, one day of rest, and on the eighth day, Jesus is presented back to God in the temple. I would suggest to you that the eighth day is greater than any other day because of what's going on here. That it's, it's all about the eighth day. I could do without some bugs and fish, you know. There's a lot of things on the planet we could do without, but we can't do without this. We're in trouble, right? We are in trouble without this. This is such a big day for us. It's a turning point in our history, all of history, all of mankind's history, not just the church, not just Christians, but everybody, this day is a turning point. This day, that sin's day, became numbered, that only in a short time would Jesus nail all of the sin of mankind to a cross, and sin would be dealt with once and for all. Jesus has come. He is our conquering king, and he came and he was presented to God, right? He was presented to God. Did you know that we are to present ourselves to God as living sacrifices? 
Just in the same way that Jesus was presented, just in the same that we presented these babies, we are to present ourselves. And he came because it was a defining moment. It was the beginning of a defining moment where the sword of God would come and begin to divide those who love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength from those who don't. Five in a family, three against two, two against three. The division goes deep, and it gets real personal in our families even. And that redemption has come. That's what Anna said, that your sin is now going to be dealt with. Finally, forever, all that God was doing. And by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life and obeying Him at every step, we can have eternal life. Like we can have life everlasting, being washed in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and raised in the newness of God to live for him, and then to live our lives like waiting every moment of the day, every moment of our lives for that moment when God looks at us and says, I need you. I want you. And we're ready. We're not goofing off. We're like ready, like Anna was, like Simeon was, like so many were. Like, I just, we just want to be like them, right? We just want to, like, be ready for when God calls our number. So what does this do for us? What does all this do for you and me? Well, the one thing it ought to do is develop in us a thankful heart. Right? We ought to look at all that God has done, just so many miracles, to just bring this one event about, and we should just, like, in awe and wonder, fall on our face and say, God, you're just amazing. You're amazing that you love us so much that you would do that, that you would do all of this. Father, we pray that you would help us. God, just help us to just see a bigger, a bigger picture of, of all that you've done for us and who you are and who your son is and why he came and how much you love us. Like, how can we deny? How can we deny that you are so real and so here and so in love with us when we consider all that you've done. Oh, we can't deny it. We can't. All that we see, all that we know demands a creator, a maker, one who has revealed himself to us through his word and through creation, but mostly through his son who came to this earth and lived on this planet and died for our sins. Father, we need you more than we'll ever know. Help us, Father, to, to just let you have your way in our hearts, in our lives, to be ready for whatever it is you need us to do. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for these people. I pray that you would use us in a mighty way as this new work of 2019 is before us. Help us to enter into it with a sense of anticipation that you're going to do something great. We want to be a part of that. Father, help us. Help us to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray.